All right. Well, hey, everybody. Thank you for being with us this weekend. Uh, we've had a great week in our church. On Wednesday night, we launched our student ministries, and it was packed. And if you've never been a part of our student ministries, we've got high school, which is Rev. And it is one of the most powerful worship experiences in our church. You'd be shocked at how engaged students are. Our middle school ministry uh, is called Ground Zero. Worship, a little wild and crazy, but they build relationships through small groups and build connections. And the message was powerful. It was right into those students' lives. And so if you have a middle school student or high school student, it's back on this Wednesday night. So I encourage you to have them Come. Last weekend, we launched three new viewing groups. And if you're not familiar with what a viewing group is, it's a person who has a heart to reach their city or their town. And so they rent out a facility or they open up their home and they just show the Eaglebrook service on a screen. And so we launched three new ones. One of them is in Hancock, Minnesota, another one in Mankato, Minnesota, and another one in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And they range from about 10 people to 30 people that were attending these. Then last weekend, we launched our Minneapolis campus. Yes, this is worth celebrating. This was two years of work and praying and Minneapolis. You blew the roof off. We had 2,007 people show up on the first weekend. Yes. This is a campus that didn't exist the week before, and all of a sudden there's 2,007 people that are there, and we believe that this is just the beginning of what God is going to do in the city of Minneapolis. And then finally, and this is the one we were most excited about, 639 people last weekend indicated that they had put their faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. That is a lot of people, 639. If you are one of those 639, we are praying for you. We are praying that you would be rooted and established in your faith. All right, we are in a series called It Would Take a Miracle. Because there are some things in life that require a miracle. What is that for you? Where is it in your life that you look back and you go, I don't have the strength, I don't have the wisdom, I'm not going to be able to figure this out on my own. God, I need you. I need you to do a miracle in my life. Today's message is titled, It Would Take a Miracle to Heal My Hurt. No need to raise any hands, but how many of us here have a wound or a hurt from our past that continues to affect us in the present? My guess is if I asked you to raise your hands, almost all of us would have had our hands in the air because most people have some sort of wound or hurt. Maybe for you, growing up, there was addiction or abuse in your home. Maybe there was an abandonment from a spouse or a parent, and you feel that loss still today. Maybe for you, growing up as a kid, there was a move across the country that rocked your world, or there was a divorce, and you're still trying to kind of process the after effects of that. I talk to people all the time who say that there's a wound or a hurt in their life, and if it kind of triggers them in some way, they'll just be spiraling into anxiety, spiraling into anxious thoughts. It's true that sticks and stones hurt our bones, but it's even more true that words hurt even more. In fact, emotional wounds often take a lot longer to heal than physical wounds, but I believe today that by the power of Jesus Christ, you can begin to enter into the healing process. There's over 30 times in the New Testament where Jesus healed a person. And there's indications that he actually healed more people, they just weren't recorded in the Bible. 
In the Old Testament, God refers to himself by different Hebrew names. One of them, God says, is I am Jehovah Rapha, which means I am the God who heals. In Psalm 147, verse 3, here's what the author of the psalm writes. He says, God heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. You might be wondering today, when is God going to do that? How is God going to do that? How is God going to bandage up my wounds? In the Old Testament, there was a man named Joseph whose brothers were extremely jealous of him. In fact, at one point, they beat him and they sold him into slavery. And you think you have it hard with your siblings. Came across a video this week of a couple of sisters that were having a very sisterly interaction. Take a look at this. Please, please. too. She just turns right to her mom who's filming this thing with a crazy look on her face. When I see that kind of thing, I'm grateful I'm an only child. I have never had to deal with those kinds of moments. But maybe you did. Maybe you had a brother or sister that you always compared yourself to and you never quite matched up. Maybe your parents would make comments like, well, why can't you be more like your brother? And your sister did it. Why can't you do it? And that was Joseph. Joseph grew up in a family where his brothers were extremely jealous of his relationship to his father. And so at one point, they took this beautiful robe that their father had given to Joseph. They tore it off of him. They beat him. And then they sold him to some slave traders who happened to be coming by in a caravan. And they took him off to the nation of Egypt. His brothers put some blood on the robe. They went home to their dad and they said, hey, we found this on the road. And it looks like maybe Joseph got eaten by a wild animal or something, but really they had sold him into slavery. And so Joseph, for 20 years, lives in the nation of Egypt, carrying that wound of family rejection and abandonment. And then one day, 20 years later, his brothers travel from Israel to Egypt and they see Joseph face to face. And here's what it says in Genesis 45. It says that his sobs could be heard throughout the palace. You ever have a moment like that where you think you're doing okay? You're, you're kind of just keeping busy. You're not thinking about it. And then all of a sudden it's right in your face. And the hurt and the wound and the tears just won't seem to stop. I was reading a book called Attacking Anxiety, and the author said this. He said, throughout my life, I've experienced emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. It caused deep wounds in my soul. I went decades thinking I was over it. After all, I was a grown man, husband and father. I was a lead pastor. Then he asked this question, surely somewhere along the way, I managed to get over it right? What he found was no. 
That for years, instead of healing it, he had been suppressing it until one day it all came out in a massive episode of anxiety. And that was Joseph. Joseph, for 20 years, is kind of going through life. And all of a sudden, when he sees his brothers face to face, the spigot of tears is stuck. And that wound is opened up again. And you may have that in your life. You may have a hurt or a pain from your past that you carry with you into the present. And if you were to start talking to me about it or to someone else about it, you would have a hard time not tearing up. That's how painful it was. Today, I believe that you can begin to enter into the healing process, that there is a God who can heal your hurt. Let me give you three ways that you can begin to enter into that process. And the first one is this, you got to feel it. You got to feel it. So when Joseph gets sold into slavery, he's working for this man named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife begins to take kind of a sexual interest in Joseph and eventually comes on to him. And Joseph pushes her away and he asks this question. He says, how could I sin against God? If ever there was a guy who could have said, boy, I deserve a little fun. I mean, Joseph had been sold into slavery. His life hadn't been going real great. If ever there was a person who could have said, well, what do I care what God thinks? Look at what happened to my life. It would have been Joseph. But instead, he looks at this married woman and he says, how could I sin against God? I remember years ago, I was working with this couple that had been through an affair. And the one who had committed the affair looked at me and said, you know, my marriage just wasn't going well. And it just, we were in such a bad place and I wasn't happy. And so I deserved it. I said, what you think you deserved has nothing to do with it. The reason to not have an affair is not because, oh, my marriage is going so great, I guess I'll be faithful to you. Every marriage goes through hard seasons. The reason to not have an affair is because you promised. You promised that you would be faithful. The reason to not have an affair is because you fear God. And you trust him. And you believe that he will work all things for the good in your life. Look what the Bible says about a man named Moses. It says this, he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin is fun. Some people are like, no, 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 sin's not fun. No, it's fun. That's why people do it. It's fun. But notice the adjective that he attaches to the phrase pleasures of sin. He says it's fleeting. I'm trying to think of a way to illustrate this to you. And I've used this before, but I just always come back to it. It's, it's White Castle hamburgers. <laughs> now, I like White Castle hamburgers. And so if you go to White Castle after church today, I ain't mad at you. Okay? It's, it's, it's not bad. But unless you've been in strict training... You may not be able to handle these. These are called sliders. They slide down real easy. But if you're not prepared, two minutes later, 20 minutes later, two hours later, you might be going, oh, that wasn't such a good decision. Sin is the exact same way. Sin slides down real easy. To the point where you're going, man, that, that felt really good. 
I mean, that was just what I needed. I've been so stressed. That was just, that brought some joy and some happiness. Just carefree. I was so good. But then you wake up the next morning. And then it's two days later, two weeks later, two years later, and all of a sudden you go, oh, I, I shouldn't have done that. Which is why the question that we all ought to be asking is this. Does the temporary pleasure outweigh the long-term pain? How is this going to affect your life in the future? Not 10 minutes from now. How about 10 years from now? One author calls this play the movie forward. Yes, I know you're having fun dating that person now. But if you know you're not going to marry them in the future because spiritually you're not on the same page, what are you wasting your time for? What are you wasting all that emotional energy to go through a breakup for? Play the movie forward. Viewing pornography will bring pleasure. Science has shown this. Dopamine starts shooting off in your brain when you see those images. But play the movie forward. Do you want to get married one day and have those images in your mind as you're trying to have real intimacy with your spouse? Do you want your kids to walk into the room and get on the computer or the iPad and they just stumble across something you were viewing? Play the movie forward. Now, if you're paying attention to the message right now, you, what you're probably thinking is, what does this have to do with healing? I mean, this, this message is about healing your hurt, and you're sitting up here talking about fleeting pleasures of sin, and you're talking about play the movie forward. Like, what does that have to do with our healing? The number one reason that I see people who are not healing is because instead of healing their pain, they're suppressing their pain. Instead of healing their pain, they're just numbing their pain. And so they don't want to feel hurt. They don't like feeling the way that they do. And so they go, I'm just so desperate not to feel this. So I'm going to drink. I'm going to go out and drink another, you know, again. I'm going to do this drug. I'm going to have sex with that person. I'm going to view those things online because I just don't want to feel that pain. And the problem is when you don't feel the pain, your pain doesn't heal. You're simply numbing the pain, suppressing the pain, masking the pain, but you're not dealing with the root issue that caused the pain. And this is the number one reason why I see many people who have not taken a step in the healing process. You've got to feel it. Second way to start the healing process is this. You've got to reveal it. You've got to feel it, and then you've got to reveal it. So Joseph is confronted by his brothers. He sees them for the first time. I want to read to you what his response was. It says, Joseph wept so loudly that his sobs could be heard throughout the palace. I am Joseph, he told his brothers. Come close to me. I've waited 20 years for this moment. Come close to me so that I can touch you. I am your brother whom you sold into Egypt. Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And they began talking freely with him. You ever have a moment like that where you thought you were dealing with it? You thought you were kind of coping with it? And all of a sudden it's right there in front of you and you, it all comes out. Notice that Joseph and his brothers began to freely talk about what had happened. 
They weren't hiding it. They weren't sweeping it under the rug. They began to reveal it. Here's what you need to know. You need to reveal it to heal it. You need to reveal it in order to heal it. First, you need to reveal it to God. I mean, God knows already. He knows everything about your life. He sees everything in your life. So why not talk to him about it? A few months ago, I got pulled over on 35W, and I had an EBC sticker on the back of my car, which is never good. When you're the pastor, it's rush hour traffic. People are flying by. You got the EBC sticker on your car. So here's what, what I did and what I think you should do in that moment. I turned to my left and pretended like there was something really interesting in the ditch, because I didn't want people to see my face. I didn't want people to drive by and be like, oh, there's my pastor, you know? And so I just pretended like I was looking at something so people wouldn't see my face. The next morning, my mom called me on the phone. She said, did you get pulled over on 35W yesterday? I said, yes, how did you know? She said, well, I was driving along. The traffic was terrible. It was shutting everything down. I saw that. I'm like, who got pulled over? bottlenecking traffic, and then she goes, Jason has a car like that. And then she goes, but Jason's not out on 35W right now. And then she said, and then I got a little bit closer, and I saw the back of your head, and I knew it was you. <laughs> and she said all this in like a happy, excited tone. Now, I don't know many people who've been pulled over on the freeway in front of their 80-year-old mother. Hey, that's a bucket list moment, but what I was trying to do is I was trying to hide. I didn't want other people to see my face. And when you're hurting, often what we try to do is we try to hide. We don't want other people to see our face. We don't want other people to see the wound and the hurt and the emotion. And so we turn and look away. But the Bible says that God knows every hair on the back of your head. God knows every hair on the front of your head. God knows every hair. In other words, he knows everything about you. He sees everything about you. If God knows and God sees, why not talk to him about it? Why not just have a time where you say, God, I just need to talk to you, and you begin to reveal the hurt in your life, and you have an honest conversation. Second, you got to reveal it to another person. I'm talking here about a trusted friend, I'm talking about a godly mentor, I'm talking about a Christian counselor, and there's some counselors that I wouldn't necessarily trust, but, but you have to find one that knows the word of God and, and is, is godly in their advice. I'm talking about a person, like a pastor that you can trust, but who is that person that you say, I just need to talk about this? If you keep healing it, then no one else can help. If you keep hiding it, rather, no one else can help. I was reading a book by Pastor Kyle Eidelman. He said, no kid watches the movie Spider-Man, goes outside to play, and says, I want to be the guy dangling from the building. I mean, I want to be the guy who's just dangling from the building going, help, Spider-Man. And that continues into adulthood. We don't want to be the rescuee. We want to be the rescuer. We don't want to be the one who looks weak and needs help. We want to be the one who's helping other people. I, I struggled with this for years. And then several years ago, I went through a season where I was wearing down. I was tired. I had some kind of relational sin struggles in my life that I couldn't quite seem to get a hold of. 
And finally, I told my wife, I said, I need to go see a counselor. And so I saw a counselor for a full year. And during that year, it's not like the counselor ever said anything that was groundbreaking to me that was like, oh, that just changes my whole life. But the very act of talking to another person about what was really going on in my life brought some freedom. There is a power to heal it when you reveal it. Here's the third way that we can begin the process of healing with God, and it's this. We've got to release it. You got to feel it, you got to reveal it, and finally, you got to release it. So, when Joseph's brothers realize they're talking to Joseph, because at first they didn't recognize him, it's been 20 years, but when they see him and they realize who it is, they are fearful for their life. By this time, Joseph is the second most important person in the Egyptian government. He could have snapped his fingers and had his brothers executed for what they had done. But I want you to see what Joseph does instead. He says to his brothers, don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me into slavery because it was God who sent me here to preserve lives. God has sent me here to keep you and your families alive. God made me a counselor to Pharaoh, ruler over all of Egypt. And then he goes on and adds these words. And this is one of the most powerful lines in the Bible. Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good to save many lives. I love this. Joseph doesn't sugarcoat what his brothers had done. He calls it evil. He doesn't say, well, you just made a mistake. You know, no big deal. We'll just... No, he says, what you did was evil. You meant it for evil. But then he adds, but God can use it for my good. That's what God does. Romans 8, 28 says, we know. Like, we know this. That in all things, not some things or most things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. There is not a single hurt or wound in your life that God cannot use for good. But you might be wondering today, when? When is God going to do that? I've been, I've been praying about this issue for a long time. I've been dealing with this pain for several years. I've asked God to do a miracle. He hasn't answered that prayer. I mean, it seems like God's forgotten about me. It seems like God doesn't care about me. When is this going to happen? In the Old Testament, after Joseph has this interaction with his brothers, the whole nation of Israel moves into Egypt. And if you've read the Old Testament at all, you know the Israelites become enslaved by the Egyptians until God raises up this man named Moses, who comes and sets God's people free. God parts the Red Sea, and the Israelites are headed to a place called the Promised Land. They're now being led by a man named Joshua, and before they can get into the Promised Land, they have to cross the Jordan River. And here's what it says happened to them. It said, now the Jordan was at flood stage during the harvest. So the Jordan River is at flood stage, it's overflowing, they can't humanly pass it. It would take a miracle to get across this river. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark, which is a significant with God, reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water upstream stopped flowing. 
it piled up in a heap a great distance away in a town called Adam. Now, I've taught this verse before, and I've always taught it the same way. And the way I've taught the verse is this. you got to take a step of faith. you got to take a step of faith. You don't see what God's going to do. All you see is the river, and it's moving fast, and it looks impossible. But sometimes you need to just say, you know what? I am going to take a step of faith. And when you take that step of faith, God then begins to move and work in your life. And that is all very true. But I read this story again recently, and I noticed something that I had never noticed before. When the priest puts his foot into the water, the water immediately stops flowing, but not where he's standing. The water stops flowing upstream in a town called Adam that was a great distance away. Now, why is this significant? Think about this with me. If the water stops flowing upstream, what happens where you're standing downstream? Nothing. At least not at first. There's miles of river between where it stopped and where you are that need to flow through first. And so from your perspective, when that foot stepped in the water, nothing changed. The river had to flow through for several miles before they realized what God had done. What do you think the Israelites were thinking in between those two periods of time? God doesn't do miracles today. I mean, come on, we took a step, took a step of faith. God didn't even answer that prayer. I did this, I did that. I mean, it didn't happen. God forgot about us. God doesn't care. But that was not true. The moment they stepped into the water, the miracle took place, but they had to wait on God to see the effects of that miracle in their life. Faith put the miracle into motion, but it was waiting on God that brought the miracle to fruition. Here's why I share this with you, because there are some of us here today that you need to take a step of faith. You need to take a step towards the healing process. You need to make a phone call. You need to set up an appointment. You need to confess a sin. You need to set up a meeting with a pastor or read a book. You need to take a step of faith towards the healing process. But there are others of us here today. You need to wait on God. You need to keep trusting. You need to keep believing. You need to keep having faith that the promises of God will come true in your life. But that's really hard to do. In fact, when you're hurting and someone else comes up to you and almost kind of glibly says, like, just release it. That, that feels cruel. You're, you're going, you don't, you don't know the pain that I've been through. How do you release an abuser? How do you release a bully? How do you release a rapist? How do you release that person? And you might even think that's what the Bible teaches. I mean, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. And so you might think, well, that's what I'm just supposed to do. I just let them kind of keep doing their thing to me. The Bible does say that, but that's not all the Bible says. Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. This is so important because everything in you is going to want to take revenge. Everything in you is going to want to go, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord. 
Our previous senior pastor, Bob, told a story one time that I've always remembered. It was about this thief that broke into a house, and he thought the coast was clear, but all of a sudden he heard this voice that said, Jesus and I see you. He's like, well, that's kind of, what was that voice? And so he takes a step into the hallway, and he hears the voice again, Jesus and I see you. But then he started to smile because it sounded like a parrot. And so he went into the kitchen, and sure enough, he turned on the light. There hanging from the ceiling was a cage. There was a parrot in the cage. And so he kind of laughed until he looked down, and seated next to the cage was a huge Doberman (laughs) with his fangs out. And he looked at the parrot, and the parrot said, Jesus, sick him. (laughs) And Jesus did sick him. Now, that's a kind of humorous story, but I wonder today if some of us need to pray this prayer. Jesus, sick him. The Bible says the Lord will repay. Leave room for God's vengeance. The minute you try to take it into your own hands and take revenge, you become the person you hate. You become the vengeful, angry person you don't want to be. Let the Lord repay. In case you don't think that's a theologically correct prayer, let me read to you Psalm 55. David writes, it's not an enemy who insults me, otherwise I could bear it. But it is you, a man who is my peer, my companion, and good friend. We used to have close fellowship. We used to walk with the crowd into the house of God. What's happening here? He was hurt by someone. He was betrayed by someone, but it wasn't an acquaintance. It wasn't someone he just sort of knew. It was one of his closest friends. And some of us have had this happen to us in life, haven't we? You used to go hunting together. You used to vacation with one another. Your best friends in high school, you slept over at their house. And then something happened. And they hurt you and wounded you deeply. David goes on in the next verse. He says, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. This is part of how you heal and part of how you move on when another person has hurt you. You pray a prayer. You say, God, you repay them so that I don't have to. God, I trust your justice. I trust what you are going to do. It's not my burden anymore. And then I get a kick out of the next sentence. This is in the Bible. God, will you bring them down to the pit of destruction? They will not live out half their days, but I will trust you. (laughs) I I love this. Hey, cut his life in half, but I trust you, Lord. This is an honest prayer. This isn't like, oh, I'm just going to kind of come before God and say what I think he wants me to say. This is a real honest prayer. Some of us need to get a little more honest with God with our prayers. And we need to start to say, hey, God, here's what I'm asking for, but I trust you. Is there anyone in your life that you need to release to God? Is there anyone in your life who has hurt you so deeply? And you need to say, God, I release this to you. I release them to you. It's not my burden anymore. Maybe there's a circumstance or a situation that you've gone through in life that has been so painful. And somehow you need to surrender that to God. 
I want to show you the story of a woman in our church who was hurt deeply, but has begun to take some steps of faith towards the healing process, and God has given her a power to overcome and to heal that hurt in her life. Take a look at her story. My name is Kara, and I grew up in Stillwater, Minnesota. I met my high school sweetheart there when I was 16 years old, and we got married in 1993. We seemed to have so much in common, and we were super excited to like start planning our life together. We love to travel and just be together and do fun things, so we intentionally waited 11 years before we decided to have children. And so when I found out I was pregnant, I was so excited and then ended up learning that we were having twins. I really just imagined kind of the fairy tale. I imagined us continuing to build into our family and grow as husband and wife with kids. It was literally a dream come true. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, and their dad worked a lot, but he seemed to really embrace having these two precious babies. But then as they became toddlers and started, you know, really needing more interaction one-on-one, -on -one, he just kept pulling further away from the kids and from me. And when I would bring it up, we would talk through things, and he would just be like, I'm, you know, I'm just tired, I work a lot. And eventually he just got to the point where he just really wanted to be by himself. I, I don't really know what happened. He came to me one day out of the blue and said, I'm done, I don't wanna be a husband, I don't wanna be a father, I just wanna be on my own. And I, I pleaded with him, like, Let's talk about it, let's go to counseling. Like, we have two beautiful children. We've had this beautiful life together. And he just said, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And within a week, he had moved out. And I got the papers that he had filed for divorce. The hurt that you feel when you've been giving your entire life love, heart, everything to someone and had it ripped away from you. It's so painful. You just feel completely alone and broken. All of my hopes, my dreams, everything had just fallen apart and disappeared in an instant. I remember one night I had just been sad and crying in my bedroom, trying to keep it so the kids couldn't hear me, and I broke down. I was at rock bottom, and I remember just falling on my knees and just praying, God, please, you have to help me. I can't do this alone. And I, at that moment, literally surrendered everything to him. And I just kind of felt like somehow, he heard me, it's going to be okay. I still don't know how, but it's going to be okay. After that night, you know, it was hard, but then eventually things started to kind of 
get into a routine. I went to counseling, I got the kids involved in counseling, um, I started reading books and talking to people who had gone through similar situations. I started going to church, I would spend time with God, I would spend time reading my Bible, journaling, and what I've learned through each of these steps is that eventually the pain of what I had experienced had actually started to get better, but it definitely doesn't happen overnight. Little by little, I was able to heal, and eventually you get to that point where you can look back and say, God really does know what he's doing. Like, I am in a better place than I ever thought I could be. I won't forget what I experienced, but I truly have forgiven my ex-husband. I realized that I had to just release that to God and let God be in control of how things were going to work out. Now I am remarried. My twins have graduated high school and are on to college. And even though there's still things that are challenges, God has just really blessed my life. He truly saved me. God really did save my life. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Maybe there's something in your life that you've been crying out to God about and you're going, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you to do a miracle in my life to heal this hurt. And I truly believe today that by the power of Jesus Christ, that can happen in your life. That as you begin to surrender it to him, as you feel it, as you reveal it, as you release it to God, there's a power in Jesus Christ to heal that's not found anywhere else. You're not going to find it in a new relationship. You're not going to find it in a substance. You're not going to find that healing anywhere else. It's going to be found as God begins to reach the deepest parts of our soul. So today, I want to lead us in a prayer and invite you to pray, to invite God into the healing process in your life. Let's pray together. God, there are some of us right now who have a wound or a hurt in our past that is never fully healed. And it affects our life today. God, I pray that as they release this to you, as they begin to deal with this, as they enter into a healing process with you, God, that you would speak into their life. That your Holy Spirit would fill them with love and joy and peace and patience, would fill them with strength and courage and hope. Lord, I pray that as they take a step of faith, they may not see the miracle happen right away, but Lord, I pray for the patience to wait on you and to trust in you and trust that when we begin to take steps of faith, that, that you will begin to work in our life. God, there are some of us here today who need to cling to this promise that you work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Would you remind us today, God, that there is nothing too great. There is no hurt or wound that is too large that you cannot turn it for our good. 
And so, Lord, right now in our hearts, we trust you in that promise. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, after church, there's going to be some people at front of your campus who would love to pray for you. And if you're hurting and you need a prayer of healing, come on down front. Let them pray for you. We'll see you next week.